0: Start with a moment of prayer for the for the technology problems that inevitably happen. Um, so we've been talking for the last few weeks about um, dealing with God in, in difficulty. Um, how? Bye, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> how we uh, how we deal with God in, in frustration? Um, you know, when when the world seems to fall apart, or when the wheels come off the bus, or 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 when everything seems to come crashing down. Um, You know what's God's deal with that? Like, how do we how do we walk with Him in those moments? And and the first week we we looked at James and we talked about this idea that that um, one of the things that the Scripture leads us to is that um, difficulty makes our faith stronger. And so we ought to have you know like joy when we when we encounter tough times because. Um, because it makes our life better, or, you know, or it can make our faith better, even though it's difficult. Um, it's the same reason that when I go to the gym and I and I want to pick up a little neoprene, like five-pound weights, they don't do anything for me, right? They're easier. They're more fun. I don't know about more fun. They're easier. Um, <laughs> but, but they don't do anything. Like, like hard work is what makes us grow strong, right? And spiritually, when we go through difficulty, that's what grows our faith. Um, the following week, we, we talked about God's perspective on our suffering and we, we looked at Hosea, um, and kind of, kind of shifted away from sort of the standard view. Well, where's God? Like, why doesn't God understand my situation or why isn't God making my situation better? And, and we looked at, well, how does God experience things? What is God's perspective on difficulty? Um, this week, we're going to kind of shift back in the other direction and say, well, does God get it? Um, any of y'all ever find yourself in that spot where you're asking, you know, does God understand what I'm going through today? You know, <laughs> If he knew what this was like, he'd make it easier. Um, and actually, we're going to start now that abby, Abby's abby gone. I thought about having her up here when I do this. Um, I uh, One of the books I love reading to Abby is Frog and Toad. Do you guys know this book? You know, Frog and Toad are friends and they, they like go out on a bike together and they got all these different adventures they go on and it's, it's, I bought this book when Abby was born cause, uh, cause it was one of my favorite books when I was a kid and so I, would sit and read it to her and anybody who's ever read a book to Abby knows you read about two lines and she runs away <laughs> and finds another book for you to read usually. Um, but, but this, there's a part of, uh, Frog and Toad like, like where, where, um, Frog and Toad eat cookies together. Anybody know this book? Am I way out in left field at the moment? Um, um, Toad bakes a batch of cookies, and he talks about how they're the best cookies he's ever had. And so naturally, he puts them all in a bowl, and he brings them over to Frog's house, and they start eating the cookies. And they keep saying, "This is the last one. I should not eat any more cookies." And, and then, but, but I mean, any more after this next one? <laughs> and then. And then like like they, they oh but you know what if we ate one more and they they're eating and they just can't stop because the cookies are so good. Um, anybody by the way had this happen to you? <laughs> is this, this is an example that we can relate to? Because I, I know in my ass I, I made cookies the other day, I got one of those boxes and I made cookies and, and I, I swear they didn't make it out of the next day. Like we, we had eaten all those cookies in no time. And I blamed Abby, but I lied. Um, <laughs> Like, like, temptation is one of those things, right? Like in Frog and Toad on Temptation, it's a heavier version of the story. Um, temptation is one of the messes we find ourselves in, where there are things that ought to be right, there are ways that we ought to live, but we face up against temptation. We want to do things our way. You know, this is, for example, any of you guys have a resentment toward anyone? Someone who you know, that guy's a jerk and, you know, he did you wrong and it's really tough to let that go. You know, and and that bit of temptation is when you go to bed at night and that starts flaring up in your head and you start pouring gas on it instead of throwing water at it or praying for that person. I mean, that's temptation. And actually, the frog and toad story, the way it ends, they get to talking and, and they're like, well, what well, we probably ought to do, um, frog being the smart one in the group, um, the smart one in the group, um, says well, hey, let's put the cookies in a box so they're not in the bowl, and then they'll be in the box and we'll have to go through more effort to get them. And Toad's like, that's a great idea, but we could just open the box. And Toad's like, well, let's tie a string around the box. And so he ties a string around the box and You know, Toad says, well, all we have to do is cut the string, open the box, and we'll get the cookies. That's not very good. (laughs) And so then Frog gets a ladder. He climbs up to the top shelf in the living room and puts the cookies up there. And he says, there. Now the cookies are way too high for us to reach. They're in a box, and it's closed and tied shut, so we can't eat them. And Toad says, yeah, but I could just get a ladder, go up there and get the cookies, and then eat them. And finally Frog says, well, I've got an idea. He comes down, and he takes his box of cookies, and he pulls the lid off, and he throws them in the yard, and he calls the birds to come and eat them. And, and I, I have the line here. Actually, I actually have the whole text. I thought about reading it to you, but I, I didn't feel good about that. <laughs> um, so, um, now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly, not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. And the best line in the book, and you can keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. but that's the trick with temptation, right? We, we have it there and there are times that we lament temptation. Is anybody with me on this? Like, Oh my gosh, I cannot want the, You know, like just take this away. And, and it's easy to think about it in terms of cookies, right? Cause cookies are fun and, and they're there all the time. And, and I don't know about you guys. I'm too fat. Um, and so like the cookies being there is temptation, but I bought the mix to make the cookies. Think about that a second. and, and, Like, like temptation, we lament it, but at the same time, like, like it only works because we want what, what we're not supposed to have. Right now, if we apply this in other stuff, I'm really ticked off at this person. I really, really want to like, let it go. And I really want to get over my anger. I really want to get over my resentment, but man, I really want to resent them and be mad at them because you know what they did. You guys with me? Anybody experienced this? or oh i got this bit of gossip and i'm so tempted to go and tell the neighbor about what my other neighbor is doing i know that didn't happen to big sandy um and i really 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 want to go gossip about this but i can't and and so instead of like you know we we instead of not listening to gossip in the first place so we have that bit of information we still listen and we still hold on to it like temptation is is a nasty nasty bit because it makes us miserable Right, Like when we're really trying to fight temptation, but it makes us miserable because it's not what we want. Like it's what we want, but it's not what we want. Are you guys with me? This sounds like a spaghetti bowl kind of mess. Um, it's a bowl of cookies. Um, we want what we can't have, or what we shouldn't have, right? And and instead of walking away from it, there's this sinful nature in us that goes running back to it and says, Man, I want that still, though. Um, I, I, years ago, I, I quit smoking. Anybody quit smoking? Is that just me? This is years and years ago. It was a monstrous, nasty, unpleasant business. And I probably quit about 300 times a day. And in fact, I remember there were a couple times I'd be lighting a cigarette as I was quitting, <laughs> saying, this is the last one. And what is that? That's that's my box of cookies, right? And I used to keep a box of cigarettes hidden in my toolbox in the garage. My wife isn't here to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, I I would keep it there because um, because I always wanted to go back, and as long as it was there, I knew I was gonna go back. Right? But I put up this fight, but I was going back. Um, temptation and sin works that way, um, and sin, like for a believer, like as as believers, remember last week we talked about holiness, right? God is holy, and we compared this to marriage. Right, like we want our marriages to be holy, like, and I mean set apart. Like, I don't want you know other men checking out my wife. Like, I want my wife to be set apart for me only. Everybody with me, women, we don't want other other women checking out our husbands. Like, we want our spouses set apart because that's what holiness is—set apart. Um, what makes this tricky is that when when as believers we desire to be closer to God. We desire to have this holy relationship because to be closer to God, we have to be exclusive. But man, there are so many fun things over here I could be doing. And so we end up pulled, right? We stand in this world and in this world like, oh, I want to be closer to God, but oh, I really want to gossip to my neighbor. (laughs) Oh, I want to be faithful with my giving, but oh, I really want a new car. It's it's a misery that's attached to that. Um, So, What does God offer us? Um, This is a misery, by the way, that's exclusive to the Christian life. You're not going to find this as a standard built into the lives of unbelievers because they don't really need to worry about temptation. They do whatever they want, right? Um, They might hold to certain areas of their lives that they want to be holy or that they want to be good, but the tear isn't the same. Um, In Hebrews 4, you can find it if you want. I think it's on the screen. Look at that. It cut off how... Wonderful. <laughs> Hebrews is a funny book. Has anybody read this book? About the toughest book in the New Testament, right? Um, and I'm going to give you a little background before we read the passage. Um, with Hebrews, what's going on is um, the author, probably Paul, but we're not exactly sure, um, the author lays out for us how Christ is unique and how the Old Testament points forward to Jesus as the fulfillment of everything that happens in the Old Testament. Everybody with me? So, like, in the Old Testament, you had this tabernacle, this mobile temple. It's like a temple in a tent, and they'd carry it around with them. And the author of Hebrews says, hey, listen, this tent that they worshipped in, everything is symbolic of something that happens with Jesus, something that exists in heaven, right? Right? And the high priest would be a guy. They'd pick a guy to be a high priest. And that high priest was pointing forward to Jesus because Jesus comes and he dies for our sins. And Jesus is like the ultimate high priest. And so everything from the Old Testament points forward to this. Okay? Anybody confused yet? Anybody tempted to be quiet instead of saying you're confused? <laughs> um. So Paul picks up and says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Okay, so you have all this stuff in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, all of this stuff, which, excuse me, points forward to heaven, right? And then you have Jesus, who's like the high priest, and the old high priest points forward to Jesus. But there's a trick there, like, where if everything in the tabernacle on earth is pointing to heaven, how can heaven relate to earth? Right? I mean, like, you go to heaven, and and there's no crying. Well, (laughs) I don't know, we cry here, right? You go to heaven, there's no death. Well, people die here. You go to heaven, and there's no misery. There's no separation from God. There's no struggle with sin here on this earth. We struggle with sin. We struggle with sin. Some of us are struggling with sin right now. You know, how is this heavenly reality supposed to relate to me? Well, God's answer is he sends Jesus, and Jesus becomes one of us. So Jesus passes through the heavenly reality into earth and he travels the earth and he's tempted. He experiences temptation like, like we do pretty much. Um, you know, he, he knows that the cross is in front of him and the devil pulls him inside and says, listen, one time you bow down to me, you can duck the whole cross thing. I'll give you the world back just once, man, that's a pretty good deal versus like getting tortured to death and abandoned by your friends and everything else. Like, Or he had fasted for 40 days when the devil tempted him, and he's really hungry, and the devil comes along and says, hey, you're God, just make the rocks into bread. You can do that. And he doesn't. Anybody ever not eat for 40 days? Anybody ever not eat for, like, a few hours, and, like, (laughs) you're ready to eat spoiled food because you're so hungry? I mean, Jesus was tempted in the ways that we're tempted, and he didn't succumb. Um which is what makes him unique as a high priest, um, because he faces temptation and doesn't fail. The old high priests were sinful, right, because they were men. And he says, well, these aren't the perfect example, whereas Jesus is the perfect example, and Jesus experienced what we've experienced. He's, he's looked at the bowl of cookies, and he didn't even have to throw it out in the yard for the birds to eat. He just he resisted. There are two schools of thought on this. Any of you guys ever walk or talk with a teenager and say, "Oh, you need to not do this and this," and they're like, "Well, you haven't experienced what I experienced. You don't get to tell me what to do." Anybody ever, you know, or you haven't failed the way I failed? I when I used to do uh, addictions treatment, you'd sit with like these drug addicts and you'd talk to them, and they'd be like, "Oh, well, but you're not a drug addict. You don't know how it is. You can't tell me anything about my experience." Anybody ever heard this? I mean it's something that people say. Um, and some folks will come at it like this. They'll say, "Well, Jesus was tempted. How is he supposed to, you know, know if he didn't sin? How is he supposed to know what I'm really going through?" Right? And and there's a perspective on it where we can approach God and say, "Well, Jesus might not understand cause." Now, I'm going to offer an alternate perspective. I uh I want to be rich one day. Not because, you know, it's a sinful thing. I just really like to have a lot of money. Um, it If I was going to set out to be rich and I was going to go out and ask for advice, would I ask the homeless guy in my neighborhood? Or if I could, would I ask the self-made millionaire? Really? But the homeless guy has been poor just like me. He can relate. (laughs) But the self-made millionaire has done it. Um, Jesus being this perfect example, right? Who's passed through the earth, who's dealt with temptation and succeeded is what we need because he's succeeded. It's better to ask the guy who's accomplished than the guy who hasn't accomplished. If you're trying to accomplish something, it's why people read, you know, books by Pete Rose on how to hit baseballs or I don't think they do anymore because he's a gambler or whatever. So he can't hit anymore. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it's, it's the reason why people read books by successful people to learn how to do things. Cause you ask successful people, In Christ, we have someone who successfully resisted temptation. And when we deal with our misery, when we deal with our difficulty, we can turn to him and say, help me do this, (laughs) because I can't, right? Um, Because he can relate to what we've gone through. He's done it. Um, So how does Jesus actually aid us? Now there's, I'm gonna offer some practical steps. First off, He makes offering for our sins, right? So when I pray to Christ and I know I've sinned, Jesus has died for my sins already, right? So I'm not weighted by that. I may not forgive me and I may deal with the ongoing consequences of it, but ultimately the best help Jesus can offer me is, I'm not going to hell because I sin. Everybody with me? Like, like, and I do sin quite a bit. Like, I'll, I'll be open about that. I screw up all the time. But I don't have to live in fear of that. Um, during the time of Christ, there were these folks called the Pharisees. You guys maybe have heard of them. Um, the Pharisees, what they did was, after the exile, so the Jewish people were bad, and God kicks them out of the Holy Land and makes them go live in exile and as slaves and whatnot for a while. And then they come back, and the Pharisees come together, and they say, okay, that is never, ever happening again. So we're going to make a bunch of extra rules so you don't get anywhere near to breaking the important ones. And, and you know, because we can't sin, because if we sin, we're in trouble. As believers, we live with a freedom that comes with knowing that we're forgiven. So, like, I don't have to agonize over my past because I'm forgiven. Like, and there's freedom in that. And honestly, like, anybody finished the bowl of cookies before and backed up and said, man, I shouldn't have done that? (laughs) And then you spend the rest of your day trying to make it up? Like, oh, if I go and run 10 miles, it'll be okay? You know, or... or. I, I've talked to folks, I actually know somebody, I read it on Facebook last night, where she's like, we had a huge dinner party last night, so I went out and ran 10 miles in the morning so I could prepare for the eating I was going to do. As, you know, like, the, And sometimes we have this attitude of like, I sinned, so now I have to do penance, and these are the penances that I have to do so God will be okay with it, or so that my life won't be crummy. There's a cookie joke there. Um, <laughs> the, the, the long and short of it is, when I sin... I don't have to earn that forgiveness. I'm forgiven. I don't have to go back and fill in all the holes I dug because I'm forgiven. That's gone. Um, Secondly, Christ recognizes that we need help. And actually, he recognizes from the point of view of a guy who's actually done it. Anybody ever get help from somebody who didn't know what they were doing? Actually, Larry had me out helping with Harvest the other day. (laughs) And, And I was thinking I was going out for three or four hours. And it was like... 14, I don't even know. How do you people work that long? (laughs) Um, Getting help from a guy like me is like getting help from a guy who's never done it. Well, it's not like, it is getting help from somebody who's never done it. Um, And so you're not going to get something from somebody who has an instinctual knowledge of what you need. Whereas Christ, having overcome sin, knows what we need to overcome it. Christ, having forgiven those who were torturing him, knows how to forgive people who were bad. Um, Christ, who was able to like not turn stones into bread, knows how to like like help me so that I don't turn stones. No, I'm sorry that <laughs> the analogy breaks down there. Like Christ, who is without sin, knows what I need, um, and so I have this confidence as I pray um, that this is what He has. And what does He gives us? Well, He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ultimately what helps us overcome sin. And so, when I pray and when I seek out God and when I study, that fills me with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit picks me up and carries me. Um, the Holy Spirit drags me away from sinful things. The Holy Spirit puts the right words in my mouth when I don't have them. Um, I had a I had a couple of guys years ago who were trying to trying to get me fired from my job, and I would come home from work angry every day. And like, actually, it was the weirdest thing because I'd get in the car, and on the drive home, I'd get angrier than I was before I left because I would think, anybody ever do that? <laughs> Just me, right? And these guys, and I would go for these long walks because I was so frustrated and angry. And and I tried praying about it, but I was praying for God to get rid of these people, get them out of my life. <laughs> and and I called up a friend of mine. His name was Adrian. And uh, Adrian, I said, Adrian, he's a spiritual advisor of mine. I said, Adrian, what do I do with these guys? He's like, well, how's praying for them working? Well, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Well, I am, but not the way I'm supposed to. (laughs) I'm more praying that God will squish them. And Adrian says, well, look, first thing Jesus said you're supposed to do is pray, right? And so I'm wallowing in my temptation. I'm not even, it's not even temptation at that point. I'm just mad, right? So I've overcome my temptation and I'm just sinning now because I'm carrying around this anger and this resentment and this this literally unforgiveness. And how did I overcome it? Well, I started praying for those guys. And you know what? It was miserable at first. Um, At first it was miserable because I was praying and I didn't want to. But the longer I prayed for them, the craziest thing happened. The Holy Spirit started nudging me. And the Holy Spirit started changing my heart. And over time, I actually rounded a corner. Like the first guy, I'd pray for him. And like um, something great happened in his life that made him have to quit his job and leave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, and the other guy prayed for him for years, and his life was miserable, and it got more miserable, and eventually he found Jesus through that. But praying changed me, the Holy Spirit changed me, because my God, who went through it, knew what I needed, and what I needed was to hurt for a little while, and what I needed was the Holy Spirit, and I needed Adrian to tell me to stop being dumb. Um. And that's what he provided. This is what God provides us when we deal with temptation. Um, Now, there are three ways. Oh, did I miss one? I missed one, didn't I? As we do that, our old self dies away. Paul talks about this idea of crucifying yourself daily. You guys heard this? Not literally nailing yourself to a cross. However, it's when you take your old man, the sinful part of you, and you put him in a place he doesn't want to go and you let them die off, and you do the right thing. I'm going to tell you, it hurts to pray for people who you're really angry at. Can I get an amen? <laughs> there was no amens there, but whatever. <laughs> um, it, it hurts to resist temptation. It hurts to turn off the TV so you don't watch things that will corrupt your soul, right? It hurts to throw away things that aren't good for you. It hurts to give things away when you really want to take, right? And that hurts because it's burning off that old man. Crucifying yourself daily is not fun. Crucifying actually isn't fun in general, which is why it's implied that it's not fun. Um, But Christ helps us through that process and he gives us something to grow toward. Without Jesus, crucifying yourself daily just means you die. With Christ, you crucify yourself daily, and the old you dies, and the new you comes out like Jesus, which is the goal, right? So there are three ways that people generally deal with sin, and I really wanted to include kind of a practical thing here. And I'm actually, some of you guys have heard me talk about this recently. Have any you guys, um, I, I went to Glacier recently, in you know, Glacier National Park. And I was in the gift shop and they had these grizzly bear books about like night of the grizzlies or whatever. And I was all excited and I really wanted to watch this documentary about bear attacks. And, and, um, I couldn't find it anywhere and I didn't want to pay 20 bucks at the gift shop. So like, I just don't have it. So I started reading up on grizzly bears and that led me to reading about a couple of guys. And the first one is, um, has, has anybody seen the grizzly man documentary or the TV series? That's this this fella, um, I got a picture of him, or three pictures of him, um, Timothy Treadwell. I think he was Canadian because I can't imagine an American being this dumb. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, this, I'm sorry, I, it was like a bowl of cookies and I couldn't not grab one. Um, <laughs> Timothy Treadwell, he was this guy who... And actually, this is the craziest thing. He was an alcoholic. I didn't know it until I watched this documentary. He was an alcoholic. And like his girlfriend really wanted him to quit drinking. And they'd go back and forth. And he'd failed over and over and over again. And one day, he was watching a documentary about bears. And he said, man, I'm going to go and live amongst the bears. And that's what he did. He went and he pitched a camp in a bear sanctuary in Alaska. And he lived with grizzly bears. He didn't live with grizzly bears for like a week. He lived there for 13 years and And, like, if you watch this stuff, this man is crazy like he is, he is very clearly mentally ill because he interacts with these grizzly bears, like they 're dogs you know like like there 's a scene and actually it 's one of the pictures there the one on the bottom left those are like young bears, and there 's a mama bear in the field with him, and he 's calling him over so he can pet him. This is a guy i mean that 's crazy right um, there's a in one of the one of the TV episodes because i 've watched quite a bit of this recently. In one of the TV episodes, there's a scene of him sitting on a riverbank with a mama bear, three cubs, and, and he's sort of watching him fish. And a bigger bear, like, comes in to try and take the territory. And the bears start fighting, and they almost kill him. Like, cause they're <laughs> fighting near him. Um, anybody know how the story ends? He gets eaten. Um, and actually, what I read was, I, I started researching. I'm like, well, why'd the bears eat him in the end? Um, he had pitched a camp near... Um, a spot where an airplane or yeah an airplane was going to come and pick him up because he was at the end of a tour like of the bear country or whatever, and he 's there with his girlfriend, and they set up camp in a spot that they really like, but he looks at the campsite, and biologists like wrote this article and they said this guy knew the campsite was dangerous; it was on a bear path. The only way for a bear to travel through the area would be to go by their tent or swim around. Well, you know a thousand pound grizzly ain 't going to care that you 're camping there. In fact, he might stop for a snack, which is what happened. And Timothy Treadwell knew better, and he wrote in his journal, this is a dangerous place to camp, but I understand bears well enough that it'll be okay. And then he was eaten, and and his girlfriend was eaten with him, um, and and that was the end of his story. Um, How does this relate to what we're talking about? There are folks who see temptation, and say it's okay. I can handle it, and they just walk with it, or they just ignore it outright, and they say, "Oh, never mind. It'll be fine," and they just ignore it. And before you know it, it's come up and bit them. Because temptation is a little like dealing with a grizzly. I mean, fact of the matter is, it's real and it's dangerous. And if you let it, it'll eat you up. Um, it'll swallow you whole. Um, I'll give you an example of this. I read. Um, I actually had a pastor in. Indiana, who I worked for, and he told me about a fellow he knew who wrote a book on how to affair-proof your life. If you were a minister, this is how you never cheat on your wife. And he had this list of steps, and he was confident, if you do this, you'll never do it. And he published that book, and three years later was drummed out of the ministry because he had an affair, because he knew how to not fail with temptation. Fact of the matter is, I'm a sinner. You're all sinners. No offense. Well, no offense intended. You're all sinners if you put temptation in front of me and back up long enough, I'm going to fall to it. In the same way, if you put a bottle in front of an alcoholic, doesn't matter how long they've been sober, you wait long enough, they're going to drink it. Um, Temptation is, is, is that way, and we don't resist it. We fail eventually. We might go stretches, but eventually it falls apart on us. And this is one of the ways that folks deal with temptation. They don't turn to Christ looking for help. They don't try to run away from it. They just live with it and say it'll be fine. It ain't going to be fine in the long run. It's reality. Temptation will always grab us, will always drag us off, and will always devour us. Um, the other fella, and I don't know, have you guys heard of this guy, uh, Troy Hurtabies? He's a Canadian fella. He was off fishing. It's both Canadians, I'm just saying. Um, he's <laughs> off fishing, and he was attacked by a grizzly bear. Barely survived. Spends the next 20 years of his life building a bear. Bearproof suit. (laughs) And, and look at it, he looks like Robocop, but he really built this thing. And he went out, and like there's a great video, you can find it online, where he goes out and finds some black bears to fight. (laughs) Like he's in his bearproof suit, ready to fight them, and they just like, they're kind of annoyed at him and they wander off. Like, and, and what happens in the end is, like, like he spent all this money and all this time and he doesn't have a job because he's busy building a bear proof suit and the bank repossesses it (laughs) along with all his patents. And so all of his effort and what does he get? Nothing. This is the Pharisee way of dealing with things. We look at temptation and instead of living a normal life, we come up with our rules to protect us. Right? We come up with all these hedges. That's what they called it in the uh, in in the time of of the scriptures. Right? They built hedges around themselves to protect themselves from the law. So I won't blaspheme because nobody's saying God's name. And if you do, we'll kill you for it, <laughs> even if you say it the right way. No saying God's name. Well, it seems like a kind of a good way to do it, right? You know, like if we take all the guns away, no one will shoot each other. Yeah. <laughs> I figured the Montanans would find that funny. The Canadians are scratching their heads. Um, (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, We can't protect ourselves from temptation ultimately because we'll get it somewhere else. Because the law to a sinner is like throwing an anchor to a drowning man, right? Ultimately, I may protect myself from this, but something else is going to kill me. Um, Because of our own efforts, we can't protect ourselves from it. Um, even if we try to stand as far away from it as possible, without divine help, it doesn't work. Um can't save ourselves from sin. Only Christ can save us. Um, my third example of this, actually, is the way that I believe the Scriptures calls us to deal with it. Um, have you guys been to Yellowstone? What do you do with your food in Yellowstone? Keep it in the car, right? If you do that in Glacier, the barrel, eat your car. <laughs> If you do it in Yellowstone, the bears stay away from the cars, right? This is what you're instructed to do. If you see a bear, what do you do? You get in your car because the bears won't attack the cars, right? Um, There's a specific set of instructions for how to protect yourself the right way. And it's not your way. It's the way they tell you. How does the scriptures tell us to deal with it? We stand in Christ. We see temptation and we flee to Jesus. We close our doors and lock them, you know, and, 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 Temptation can't pierce Christ because when we're in Christ, we have the power to overcome. And actually, even more so, we have a high priest. We have a guy who's standing before God on our behalf who understands what it's like and says, oh, come on in. I know what it's like. I'll help you out here. Be sure to close the windows Um, because that's what God provides us. Um, The mess that is temptation, the misery that is temptation, And it's miserable when you really start fighting to overcome sin. Temptation is miserable. As Americans, we like to think about it in terms of diet. But when you really start digging out sin, like sin is everywhere, and it's tough to resist. And it's miserable. But where do we find comfort? In the car with Jesus, right? We flee to him and he protects us. Um, It's how we become holy, ultimately. Ultimately. Um, Now, mind you, this isn't a here today, done tomorrow. Ran out of slides. Um, It's a lifelong process. I'm holy now because I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. But the effects of it won't fully kick in until I'm in heaven. My challenge for you today um, as you go out of here this week is look at your life. Where are your temptations? Um, Where's your box of cookie you're trying to hide on the top shelf so that you won't reach it? Knowing that it's just going to happen anyway. You know, what's your box of cigarettes hiding out in the garage? What are you not taking to Jesus to help you overcome? Anger, what resentment, what greed, what what unforgiveness, what are you holding on to? Dig it out and bring it to Christ. Um, You know, anything that you can do that will bring you closer to Christ, overcoming sin is the number one on the list. Um, And not through legal, not through ignoring, but through his power. We're going to close in prayer. I think we have one more song. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would please be with us this week. Help us to resist sin. Help us to overcome temptation. Help us to seek out Christ as we, as we walk through our lives. And help us to find comfort in, in you. Um, and help us to find comfort that, that we're saved and that we'll be with you again. In Christ's name, amen.